One of the great things about going to Jake's, besides the chicken flatbread sandwich, which is just absolutely amazing if you've never had it, it's like a chicken thing, and then it's got on like this pita thing, and then it's got this, uh, this side, it's just amazing, it's just really good, is that you get coloring supplies, all right? They automatically bring it out to the table. Some restaurants you have to ask for, they just bring it out to you, and you get to color, okay? And it's, it, it's so cool, because when I grew up, I wasn't very good at coloring, and so would you like a color crayons or a coloring book? Okay, there you go. Thanks for being here, Mark. Good to see you. All right. At any rate, so at any rate, we have coloring crayons, coloring books. Would you look, would you prefer a coloring crayons or a coloring book? Okay. This is really cool because they're making like adult coloring books, not blue adult coloring books, which we'll get into just a little bit, but like legitimate coloring. They're just like really isn't that cool? That's really neat. I just have so okay, so you go there, right, and you get this little thing, okay, and you are able to color with it, and it's just all would you like some color crayons or a coloring book? Okay, I have just one left, so you have the last one. Now, I promised, okay, because I'm walking around very quickly, I promised that I would not throw anything that's heavy. Um, and, and that not comes from Tom or the insurance company, but a, a higher source than either one. Um, really close to God, not quite exceeding God, but I have, oh, I'll go over here. Let's go like this. Would you, Mallory, would you like some crayons? Yeah, okay, there we go. Thanks. And get in touch. There you go. Okay, at any rate, so here we go. So colors, right? I was never very good at coloring, and, and, but it's still fun. And coloring, isn't it? Did you ever try to do it and, and the teacher would be like, I'll go in the same direction? I just never do that. I'd be like a little bit like this and then a little bit like this and then all over. Colors, okay, colors and how they describe how we feel and how we think. Stefan Curry, Steph Curry, red hot. Minnesota wild, not so much. Color in terms of health, feeling blue, or after a particularly difficult time in meeting with your boss, perhaps you felt black and blue. You can be green, which means that you can either be young or you can be envious. Obviously, we've talked about blue. You can be tickled pink. You can be in the black or in the red. One of those is good and one of those. You can be caught red-handed. And if someone is afraid, they are yellow. Now, actually, they're not any of those things, right? Because a person who's actually afraid isn't the color yellow. It's just an expression used to communicate a reality. Someone is not actually green with envy, although if you see someone who's actually motion sickness, they can actually be green. It is possible to turn that shade. And it gets to what we're dealing with in this book called Revelation, this nature of apocalyptic literature. Because there are many things in this book, like calling someone yellow, they're not actually yellow. At any rate, let's get into it. Revelation, verse 1, chapter 1, page 1028. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And let's just stop right there, because the word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis, okay? The word from which we get this phrase, apocalyptic literature. The revelation, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. Now, our good friend Beale argues that Revelation is similar to Old Testament books who also use this style of literature. Let's just give you some examples. Flip with me, if you will. We don't do this often, so just test your fingers. Page 692. 692. Page numbers are at the top. We're headed for Ezekiel, for those of you that can get there quicker. Give you a phrase. It's kind of like calling someone yellow or green or being red hot. And I looked, behold, a stormy wind, verse 4. Chapter 1, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great crowd with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually and in the midst of the fire as if it were gleaming metal. 
Now here's where it gets kind of crazy. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings, and their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Okay, the description is just like, you've never ever seen anything like this. Perhaps unless you're an artist who consumes Albrecht Dürer stuff. Okay, let's give you another example. Daniel, page 744. This one's familiar to us because we talked about it a couple weeks ago. 744, chapter 7, verse 9. And I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days, who's that, took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His thrones were fiery flames, its wheels... Thrones on a, so is that a wheelchair? What are we dealing with? A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment. The books were open. And then one more example: Zechariah, page seven ninety four. I just love this stuff. This is just cool. Just if you're in the Bible, the pages flip. It just gets me jazzed. Now, this is just something crazy, okay? A little like magic carpet ride. Again, I lifted my eyes, chapter 5, verse 1. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. A flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a flying scroll. The length is 20 cubits, and it's with 10 cubits. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land, a flying scroll. And then, 795, okay, verse 9. Then I lifted my eyes, and behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork. We've had great blue herons fishing out in front of our place the last couple of ways. They're just like cold-blooded killers. But I imagine wings of stork, wings of a great... And they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. And then, let's flip to Revelation, page 1030. And you can see how the style is the same. Chapter 4, second half of verse 6. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within and day and night, they never cease to say, read it with me, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. John writes like they write. There is a sense when you study apocalyptic literature that these are not just words that God has inspired, but there's a uniqueness, unicity, I don't actually know if that's a word, of where these words come from and how they get into John's possession. It's a revelation. It's an apocalyptus of what God sees and communicates to John as well as the importance of the words themselves. John's prophecy, John's revelation, 
the apocalyptic literature that we'll digest over the next few weeks. Well, we might say that this kind of literature, this kind of prophecy in general, invites the person who is worried or wondering or wistful to think about behavior and either correct or be encouraged, be encouraged that poor behavior will not be endured forever. If we would say that to be true about prophecy, then then apocalyptic literature, even more so, it invites the person who is worried, wondering, or wistful to think about the claims that God makes and be prepared or get prepared or be encouraged that God does indeed worry win. Three quick questions. Are you worried about life? Am I worried about life? There are so many things that press in all around us, right? We can get easily worried about life. Will the kids be all right? Will this happen? Will that happen? Will this business deal be successful? Are we worried about life? If you've ever been in that position where you wonder, will life work out, then this is a book for you. Are we wondering, okay? Are we ever wondering if we should really follow God? Do you ever have that thought sometime? In a moment of just personal self-doubt, nothing that you would say in front of a large group of people, so this is purely a hypothetical situation. Is it worth it to follow God? I mean, really, is it worth it to follow God? Perhaps all of life and its worries are crushing in around us. Perhaps the odds seem long. Perhaps we seem like there is no way out. Are we ever wistful? Wistful is defined by Webster as being full of yearning or desire, but but tinged with an essence of melancholy. Typically, it's a longing for something that has already happened. And so we are wistful. We remember things that are in the past that were very good and very memorable and very exciting. And some of us, good or bad, are wistful. We like to live in the past. It was always better back then. My dad was rarely wistful. Rarely would he say the good old days were that good. In fact, he would say the good old days weren't that good. Or do we live with a perspective that the best is yet to be? Do you live with a perspective that yesterday was a better day than today or that today can be a better day than yesterday? This, this is the best day of my life. If we are worried about life or if we are wondering whether or not it is worth it to follow God or if we are wistful living in the past, then this book, like no other book, because of its position at the end of the canon, tells us, here's the deal. You do not have to be worried about life. You do not have to wonder whether or not following God is worth it. And you do not have to live in the past. You can live with an expectancy a vibrancy that can color everything. 
in understanding the nature of apocalyptic literature and how it connects to the Old Testament examples, it's important to understand. One of the themes that we will come back to, thanks to our good friend Beale, again and again and again, is that John, John doesn't believe that Revelation is a book that stands on its own. John believes that Revelation fits into this entire canon, fits into the entire plan of God. It's not a New Testament in terms of a new idea. It's not a new revelation in terms of a brand new concept. It is the culmination. It is the fulfillment of all that those promised in the Old Testament, of all that the Bible has talked about, of all that Jesus told about, of all the Spirit bears witness to. The revelation to John is the fulfillment of God's plan in our lives. Now, certainly an understanding that this is different than most books in the Bible, that's true. I mean, there's a lot of different stuff that we'll encounter over the next few weeks together. The symbols, the craziness, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. But even that, there should be some hints, right? If we look and understand our Old Testament, seven is a number of perfection. When you repeat something three times, you emphasize it. So we say, holy, holy, holy. Not because the hymn writer couldn't think of a better word to use. Because when you say, holy, 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 you are emphasizing the completeness, the totality of the holiness of God. So perhaps a number of perfections, seven bowls, seven seals, seven trumpets repeated three times, this issue of sevens, there's emphasis that this is truly the end. At any rate, we'll spend time with all of these things. Please note we will express our views with modesty, but about one thing we will not be modest. We will not be modest about whose revelation this is. It is Jesus' revelation. So if the book of Revelation is an apocalyptic book, and if it dares us to think in color and to dream in color because it portrays a God who works vividly, how do we allow the book to change our lives? How do we think in color? How do we express the reality of what is communicated to us? If we do not have to be worried, if we do not have to wonder, if we do not have to live in the past, if those things are true, then how do they affect today and tomorrow and the days beyond? How am I going to live? How are we going to live? In light of this book, how will we live differently? In fact, we could say that to be true of any book that we read. And certainly any book out of the Bible we would say is most valuable when it comes to informing our lives and how we should live. That a primary question when we come to the text is, how will this change my life? Even though that might be an uncomfortable change. <laughs> say you're facing suffering. In light of this book, how will the reality that you face a life that is full of suffering, how do you embrace suffering? 
And to be sure, we have different definitions of what it means to suffer. We have people in this room that come from an area in the world in which suffering is much different than it is here today in the United States of America. And we have people within this room who look normal on the outside but have been affected deeply on the inside and they wonder and they wrestle with words like depression and mental illness. Another significant theme out of the book of Revelation is the notion of facing suffering, of embracing suffering. And we might ask, well, why would God allow us to suffer? Why would God allow us to be challenged? And I understand the, first que- the question at first blush, right? Because it makes sense. Why wouldn't it just be easy? Because that's the deal, right? You follow Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, life should be easy. We've talked about that before, right? There should never be any difficulty. Yet in the same breath, we know that most everything that we experience in life comes because of hard work. Being a parent is not easy. I know that comes as a shock. From exercise to relationships, being a good friend is hard work. The reality of suffering is the reality that in our suffering, our faith is made strong. Our community can be united. That we can know, even in the face of death, that if we are worried about that or if we are wondering about that, we do not have to be worried and we do not have to wonder. Another thing that we will express as we think about this text in color is who is God? We think about God. We think about God at work. We think about God's work as the highest order. This last week, I had to go down to the Metro for a meeting on Tuesday, and as fate would have it or the influence of God, I slipped into Nordstrom's rack on the way back up. Just enough time. Okay. Found these sweet pair of trousers. Okay, they were on the clearance rack. Okay, it's like three pair of trousers had parted, and there was the pair of trousers that I was to get. It was God's will, right? Because that's what we think, right? That's what we think, and we kind of say it jokingly, but kind of not, okay? Kind of we're glad when God provides us parking places and those types of things. But, but when we talk about the work of God, we're not talking about nice trousers on a pair of rack, on, on a Nordstrom's rack rack that he allows us to purchase at a substantial discount off of its normal retail price. No, we're talking about the work of God. Check out Ephesians 6.12. In there, Paul talks about the reality that the battle that we face is not a physical battle in which we clothe ourselves. It's not a political battle in which we operate in the world around us. It's not even a battle to establish our business or our family or our lives. Paul says that we fight a spiritual battle. And in fighting a spiritual battle, you use spiritual weapons. We follow a leader that looks like a lamb that's been slain. 
typically not your most signature of figureheads. The work of God is fighting and being involved. It is God at war with the powers of evil. And we can either be on God's side or on the other side. But more than anything else, I sincerely hope that our study and our time of this style of literature called apocalyptic literature gets us to dream. Four-headed beasts, multiple horns, seven of this, 12 of that, four of that, three over here. I hope it gets us to dream. I hope it gets us to the understanding that we got, this God we serve is able to describe things in a way that at times we can't even wrap our brains around. And don't you want a God like that? Don't you want a God who is high, high, high above your or mine understanding? Don't you want a God that describes this place that is so beautiful that it invites you to dream? And so more than anything else, the time that we have in this book, I want us to dream about heaven and to dream in vivid color. And as we dream about heaven, I want us to ask some questions. Do we want to go? Seriously, do we want to go? And if we want to go, do, do we want others to go? And if we want to go, and if we want others to go, do we care enough to invite others? Send a text message. Come to heaven with me. That might come across a little weird, so be careful with that one. Would we be willing to dream about a place that is so close, so close? Would we want to go there and want to figure out the best possible way to get there? And would we want others to come with us? Perhaps more than anything else, we could ask this week for God to implant in our lives the ability to dream about the place that he promises for those who follow his son. Would we be willing to pray for that? Would we be willing to pray for the ability to dream about heaven? Please pray with me. Father, we come to you today, and your Spirit bears witness in our lives. Your Spirit invites us to remember all that we know is true, to teach us in all that we do not know. Father, allow us to 
live with the wonder and the hope of what that day will be. Father, allow us to live our lives that are ordered around your Son, knowing him as our Savior, following him as our Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.